0: Well, hello. I'm Terry Woods, and this is Dixie Cooper. <laughs> Welcome back to this special Christmas episode of Texas Storytellers, brought to you by Woodlands Online and sponsored by Herb and Beat. You can watch this show on woodlandsonline.com, our Roku channel over the air at KVQTHD21. You can listen to us on woodlandsonline.com slash podcast, Or on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. And today we have a special guest. We have Kurt Locklear with us today. I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed finding out about this gentleman who is a writer, a songster. He plays the banjo, of all things. And he's retired from a long career of education. I am uh, going to ask him some questions so you can find out about him. And then he's going to take the show over and sing and tell some stories. And hopefully read from his own books. So, Kurt Locklear.
1: Hello. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing fine. I have... Just been running between the raindrops and didn't get wet so I feel pretty good about that. We
0: did all make it here that's absolutely sure. (laughs) So um, can you tell us something about yourself? Why did you become a writer and how did your books all happen?
1: Because it's more than one book. Oh it's more than one book and it's a lot of fun. Um, I probably have been writing since the third grade so that was one of those things and whether it was hunt and peck on the old-fashioned typewriters and then I have written stories I have one story that is uh, gathering dust in my computer and so it needs a lot of work is kinda my first effort and so I've learned a lot since then and I encourage uh, future writers or even writers who've got some things published to do some study on what is the science of writing as well as the art of writing Mm -hmm. most people have the art down. It's the techniques to, to keep the reader's attention that they need to know. So I've had a lot of fun. Uh, I grew up in the heart of Texas. I'm a native Texan. I yeah. uh, went to the University of Texas in Texas State and um, got my master's degree. I've been a teacher of English and history okay. and uh, I was a coach and uh, a little later on I was a school principal. I was fortunate enough to to get paid to love kids, what a great job teaching principal. is. Is
0: it okay to say where you were school? Sure, principal?
1: I was a principal in north of Austin in Leander school district and oh, Round I love Rock Leander. school district. Yeah, mm-hmm. and okay. also in Gerald. If you've ever heard of Gerald, it's mm. a little north of Austin. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was at one time or another a elementary principal, a middle school principal, and a high school principal. Oh
0: wow! Yeah. So the principal, did you? have a preference over being principal or a teacher? No, it's, each you
1: know. of them had their own things. The little kids gave you wonderful hugs, whether you wanted them or not. Yes. <laughs> and the high schoolers got your jokes. <laughs> and the middle schoolers, watching them was like dinner and entertainment. You never knew what they were uh, gonna yeah, do. Yeah. And it was oh, such nice. a joy to be with them. I wonder what <laughs> they're gonna do today, you know?
0: And you live in the woodlands now.
1: I live in the woodlands now, yes ma'am. And it's close to, enough to the beach that I can go to the beach, mm-hmm. but I don't have to worry about a hurricane, so. Well, that's cool. Yeah. that's I, very I cool. love that. And my kids I have two kids in Austin and one in Goliad, which is Texas wow. history. You yes. know, you know, exactly. yes. Yeah, Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow,
0: that's awesome. So, when did you publish your first book?
1: My first book is a book called uh, Asunder, which is the first of the trilogy that I'll talk about in a minute, and it was published in 2016. Oh, wow. Um, very
0: good. When recent. I first
1: started going after a second book because my first one was written and I knew it needed lots of work. Well, I studied a lot and then I found this book about the Third Texas Cavalry and I was going to tell the story of these brave men in a book. Well, it didn't take long to figure out when I plotted out everything it was going to be three books. (laughs) And (laughs) And I started writing it wanting to celebrate these heroic men of the Third Texas and about two chapters in, the women had taken over the book. <laughs> they were the ones who were the drivers of the story. It was all what happens to them and how everyone interacts uh, with them. And so it's just a wonderful experience to see how the characters showed up and wouldn't leave. I don't know Funny if anyone else <laughs> <yeah. laughs> oh, These characters go away, but they wouldn't, so... Yeah, I just kept them in like stray cats they show up and <laughs> like, I'm home <laughs> right. like stray cats but I've truly enjoyed it and then uh, my other christmas book um it's a christmas mystery i've always enjoyed charles dickens books and his writings and even the movies made about his books and i particularly like um a christmas carol it's probably my favorite novel and so i said well to myself self <laughs> What, what did they do after A Christmas Carol? they just fall off the place and off the planet? No, yeah. well, they had something else to do, and so I wrote the next book, which is Scrooge and Cratchit Detectives.
0: Well, I think that's awesome. That's how I found you, because I'm always looking for another uh, volume of Scrooge, like Scrooge and Marley. Uh, that's actually a play, which mm-hmm. I just adore. Mm-hmm. And um, I am also very, very fond of Scrooge and A Christmas Carol, so I happened to find that by mistake, mm-hmm. looking for everything else. And, and then I had looked up you as an author before, So and then I put everything together, and I thought, oh, Christmas special! <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: And so that, that's how this all came about, and I'm loving the book, too. Um,
1: also, you're a TV celebrity of sorts. Yes, yeah, so I am. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I've been playing banjo forever, and there's a television show called uh, The Day Tripper on PBS. It's a very funny travel show about day trips in Texas. You want to take a day trip to Bastrop, or to Fredericksburg, or to Galveston, you're gonna watch the show, find out where to go, where to eat, all the best things to find there, and you're gonna laugh a whole lot. It's a great show, and I encourage people to watch it. It's been on for nine years and won several Emmys, so it's a good show. But at the beginning of the show, They have some banjo picking, and that's mine. So that's Okay, now I
0: understand. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm so
1: famous, I'm infamous. (laughs) (laughs) And you
0: brought your banjo today, too. I did bring
1: my banjo, yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) ma'am.
0: Well, Dixie, you know what? I sincerely think we should turn the show Mm -hmm, over to Kurt. I think so, too. Let him do some banjo picking and talk about his books. What do you think? I agree wholeheartedly. I, I can't wait. Right. I know, I'm excited. All right.
1: Well, we we'll right. that and people at home can sing along. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. Well, hopefully there'll be, there'll be some tunes that they can sing along. Well,
1: there you go. All right.
0: All right. <laughs> Let's do this.
1: Well, I'm glad to share about my experiences with writing. I love to go out and, and talk with people and to sell my books as well as sign them. I have lots of fun presenting across the nation. I'm Kurt Locklear. I love my last name because when you take Locklear and spell it backwards it spells real cool. So uh, I hope that you uh, look me up on uh, online and in the meantime let's play some banjo music. <laughs> From the Day Tripper, that's the the PBS TV show. It's been running for nine years, and it's a great hit. I have a lot of fun uh, performing, and I uh, also want to talk some about my books too. And maybe I'll play a few more banjo songs when we get to the end. But uh, my uh, start and career with writing was um, uh, kind of a surprise, and maybe that's been the way for you too. You just Had no idea of what was going to happen when you began writing. And for most of us, it's something of a journey. And for most of us, it's something of a fun time and a hard time. When you hand your book to some readers that they call beta readers, some friends, and they give you feedback that you kind of want to go, ah, oh my gosh. But then other times, they love your book, and that's what you want to hear but um, when I started out um, first of all education and being an English and history teacher I love books I read all the time and I encourage you to do it too it's healthy for you it's healthy for your mind but uh, I wrote my first book it is gathering dust in the computer I've got to go back and fix it but I wanted to share with you a little bit about uh, some of my books the most recent one is the Christmas mystery And it's called Scrooge and Cratchit Detectives. Uh, If you're like me, you may have thought at one time, what happened after the end of A Christmas Carol? Where did Scrooge and Cratchit go? Well, here's the story. The ghosts would not leave them alone, and I thought that I would share a little bit of this with you. I'm going to read it, perhaps with my best Irish and English accents that I can put on. We'll see how well that goes. Let me get my... uh, Uh, reading glasses here I dress somewhat like they would have dressed in Victorian era you may have noticed the tie and whatever and uh, at any rate so what happened to Ebenezer Scrooge what's going on well there's a murder that's taken place and we're going to find out about it just like in A Christmas Carol All my chapters are labeled as a stave, like a portion of a music sheet. The first chapter. Stave One, a disturbing bit of news, a murder. Approximately 250 miles from London in the vicinity of Cornwall, a man lay dead, his face smashed in by a shovel. The large man, who everyone in the vicinity said he had done the deed, rode a lathered steed hard through the night. He drove his horse, the fifth one in his long sojourn, to the outskirts of London, wherefrom he would hasten to the office of business associates of Ebenezer Scrooge and his new money-lending partner, Bob Cratchit. He kept to him saying to himself, Scrooge is a changed man. From two years ago, surely he will. help." On the fourth day of his escape, Two stout constables had laid their hands on him when he slept in a barn under a pile of hay. He eluded them because the frost that had gathered on his coat while he slept in the frigid night allowed him to slide loose from the grasp. He leapt to the ground and mounted a stolen plow horse. He rode bareback, clinging to the horse's mane. Ultimately arriving at the outskirts of London in late afternoon, the man released the horse and slipped into the city afoot. About the same time in the countryside outside Bristol, Lucy Temperwind, a young woman with a fresh face and golden hair and ringlets, stepped into a coach. In one hand she clutched a clumsy leather bag, and tight in the other fist she crumpled a troubling letter from her uncle Erasmus Temperwind. Her uncle's ink made submissive and scrawled letters beseeched her to come in haste to his sickbed, ere he died before he could tell her some secret dreadful news. The last words of the letter stated, A vast fortune and my life are at stake. Her cheeks were blushed not from the chill air, but from fear of her uncle and the distressful warning. In his London Counting House, Ebenezer Scrooge sat smug and content, unaware that the criminal was heading straight for him. He was reflecting on the fact that Marley was still dead to begin with. With a slight smile he said to himself, That much is still true, as much as the certificate of burial is true. Scrooge had signed it, and his name was good upon it. Yet there was a lot more good in Scrooge's name now. "'coming upon the second year after that eventful Christmas "'when Scrooge became reacquainted with Marley. "'He is ruminating about the fact that Marley had been been "'and still was as dead as a doornail, "'and that his ghost had not been lurking about for two years. "'He shuddered just thinking about his encounter "'of the two years past. "'Bob Cratchit,' he whispered to his new partner "'sitting across from him at what used to be "'the desk of Jacob Marley.' He did not want to alert their new office boy, who was painting their walls with fresh paint. Cratchit looked up from his perusal of a line of numbers on a page. Bob, Scrooge continued in a hushed tone, I was thinking that there can be much discussion about how dead a doornail is, or was or ought ever to be, but I think that a coffin nail would probably suffice better as an analogy of how dead anything is. What say you? He immediately regretted even bringing up the subject. Cratchit looked up, as though pondering the posit with much consideration. He then looked at Scrooge. I believe you're right, Ebenezer. The coffin nail is a better analogy. He dipped his pen in an inkwell and continued his work. While Scrooge reflected on Marley's death and his own changed life, and while Cratchit worked diligently, and the office boy splashed paint on the office wall with fur, The huge fugitive from the law barreled through the London streets. He passed several buildings with posters of his likeness glaring at him. He came face to face with a policeman, who recognized the giant from a poster as the man wanted for murder. The big man instantly grappled with the policeman, then picked him up and tossed him in a passing hay cart. He continued his race down alleys and byways, knocking over food carts in his mad rush. He would not be stopped. And obtaining the offices of Scrooge and the new business partner Bob Cratchit. On this dismal day of Advent, only one week before the Nativity of the Lord, not all was right with the world, surely not in London, nor in Camden Town, certainly not in Cornwall, nor even in Paris. In London the manhunt was on. The broad chalk block, intimidating by his very size, rushed through the snow-laden streets like a runaway train. The forest vapor, the frosted vapor, huffing from his mouth, was like the smoke of a steam engine. He stopped momentarily and leaned against a brick wall, catching his breath. Looking about, he saw passers-by eyeing him. Stay away from me, he roared, then sped down an alley. Lucy Tamperwine looked obliquely at the letter on her lap. While the hand coach jounced along a rocky serpentine road, another older woman sat on the opposite side of her and was nodding in sleep. I feel so conflicted, Lucy said to herself. I hope I arrive before Uncle Rasmus dies. The coach rolled to a stop at a crossroads. She heard the grumbling of the men who paid a smaller fee to ride, but only enough coin to sit atop the coach hanging on to a rail or to tie down luggage, She heard a loud bark from one of them. Pulling her blonde curls back with one hand, she peered out the coach window, and looking up, caught sight of a shabbily dressed man wiping his mouth with his sleeve. The man took a swig from a room bottle, then turned suddenly and leered at Lucy. She jerked her head back inside. Something about the man made her stomach churn. I don't trust him. She wrung her hands. So there's a little bit of Scrooge and Cratchit, and we can come back to that maybe in in a while. But I wanted to draw your attention to uh, my other uh, historical fiction. Some people call it historical romance, but believe it or not, um, I've been tracking it, half of my readers are men and half are women. So there is something for everyone in the books. Uh, This is the second of the book, it's called, of the series, it's called Splintered. The first one is called Asunder, as if when the nation in 1861 was split asunder. The second book is Splintered, so it was already split and now it's falling apart even more. And the third book is called Reconciled. It is a a book or series of books set. In the Civil War west of the Mississippi instead of always being out over there in Virginia and Pennsylvania it's on our side and it covers what was it like to be a civilian in the Civil War so many uh, books about the Civil War deal with the soldiers and the generals well this particular series not only deals with those soldiers and generals but with civilians caught in the middle of the war I thought I'd read a little bit Uh, From this second book, and uh, again, you probably want to get the series. You can get them online either on Amazon Marsandnoble.com and you can get them from my website at uh, www.kurtlocklerauthor.com. You can get Scrooge and Cratchit as well. You can order it today. It's that easy on any of those places. But Let's take a look at Splintered. I'm very proud of this one because this one was entered in an international uh, contest And it won first place in a contest of English-speaking countries. Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand, England, America, and so on. But at any rate, to tell you a little bit about Asunder. In Asunder, Union soldier Joseph Favor lost all memory in the Battle of Wilson Creek. He has no idea what his heritage is and even who he is. And he gets tricked into believing that he's a Confederate soldier. We'll let you begin to see what happens from there. Besides Cynthia the Favor, who will be I'll be reading about today, she is his beautiful wife and she's an abolitionist. And she thinks Joseph is dead because in those days they didn't have a good way of tracking. If they didn't show up, quite often the colonel wouldn't assume that they were dead. And so the the Colonel wrote a letter to her her and told her he was dead. But she, like many of the people in that era, thought that um, there were people who could speak to the dead. It was a big hoax that thousands of people believed in. One in five people supposedly, according to researchers, believed that people could speak to the dead. So she was hoping to speak to the soul of her dead husband and let him be free to go to heaven. However, as he's being Able to get better and better in the home of the Southern sympathizers, he begins to fall in love with a young blonde Southerner. Now, how does this story turn out? There's a lot more to it than that. In this second book, not only are those two characters, but some Texas horse wranglers show up and they fight Comanches, swollen rivers, tornadoes. Let to read, read a little bit about some historical facts. I have this at the beginning of each book. Before and during the Civil War, rumors abounded, often encouraged by newspapers. For example, before the war, many in the South believed that a northern army was being prepared to invade the South. It was a standard belief. it was in the newspapers, it must be true. Fact 2. Disease was the major killer of soldiers during the Civil War by a two-to-one ratio. Dysentery was the most common killer. Typhoid, malaria, and even measles and other deadly diseases were, to name a few, of the diseases that killed the soldiers more than the bullets. Fact 3. Just before the war, Southern General Benjamin McCullough was ironically part of a peace commission who went to Utah to keep the Mormons from seceding. Fact 4. Previous to the war, during the 1600s, tens of thousands of white Irish men, women, and children were expelled forcibly from the British Isles into servitude in the Americas. So both white men and black men had been uh, enslaved in America. Native Americans living in the Oklahoma Territory took sides in the Civil War and often traded allegiances during its course. When removed by the South by removed from the South by President Andrew Jackson's order, they brought their slaves with them. (laughs) So even the African Americans were slaves to the indigenous people living here. Mary Todd Lincoln, after she moved into the White House, had rudimentary plumbing installed. First time plumbing in the White House. The water came from the Potomac and other rancid water sources because they did not have water cleaning which may have been the cause of her son's contracting typhoid. Many of the words in the preface are the exact words recalled by witnesses that Mary and Abraham Lincoln spoke at the event of their child Willie's death. Oddly enough, Mary Todd Lincoln believed that there were people, spiritualists, who could speak to the dead. go past the prologue and go to the first chapter escape Now remember this is the second book in the series and so Cynthia has been taken um, captive in a sense by the Union Army even though she's a union sympathizer they do not want civilians traveling all about because they think they might be spies so she's basically held hostage and she wants to get to New York so she can speak to the Fox sisters and have them help her Speak to her dead husband, Joseph. So, this is Cynthia and her friends. In Escape, February 25th, 1862, 3 a.m., the Schmidt Boarding House, Springfield, Missouri. In her boarding house room, Cynthia Favor rose in total darkness at the slight knock on her door. She had slept in her dress, her dreams filled with dread. Her crinoline hoop, shoved in the corner, would be left behind. This was an escape, not a time for propriety. She tiptoed to the closed door. Just a moment, she whispered, shivering. The shock of cold within the room took her breath away. Though she had lived through snowstorms in Iowa, this cold was like a knife of ice. She was shivering not just from the cold, but from the trepidation at what she was about to do. To her recollection, she had never made such a reckless decision. Her mind swam back and forth. I must escape. They will surely catch us. I must escape. She believed, no doubt, that she had no other recourse than to flee Springfield and the clutch of the Union Army to rescue Joseph's tormented soul. Joseph was dead. That much she had been informed of by the colonel of his Iowa regiment after the Battle of Wilson Creek. Mrs. Grunewald, the convincing spiritualist with the tarot cards, whom she had consulted but a few days previously, had assured her that his soul was trapped and that Cynthia needed to speak to his soul through a medium who had the capacity to speak to those beyond the grave. She believed without a doubt that only she could dissuade him of his fears and free his soul. A further pressing reason to rush headlong into certain danger was she felt driven to find her brother who was accused of stealing from his bank. Please, Lord, give me strength. Her prayer spilled in whispered intensity. Her breath was short and her heart beat erratically like loose shutters battered by a gale. She fumbled for the matches on the dresser, found them, and lit the oil lamp, turning the flame low. She sat before the crazed and speckled mirror of her dark dresser, lacing her high top shoes. Tying her long black hair tight in a bun was an ordeal, with her hands shaking so, and pinning a snood to hold it in place seemed to take interminably long. For a moment she looked at her face in the mirror, admiring it but a little. Her smooth white complexion, her green eyes, and slim pert nose. She never thought herself a beauty, many bows offered her that title. If she was caught, perhaps her appearance might earn some mercy. She had never tried to use what some called womanly wiles to gain special treatment. It would have been beneath her. She knew that comely women seldom were held as accountable as homely ones. Could a cheery smile divert imprisonment? She deeply desired the Union Army to vanquish the rebels and thus free the slaves, for slavery wore so heavily on her heart. She realized the irony that she could be imprisoned by the very army she supported. She had been warned by the officious captain and townsfolk that travel on roads out of Springfield was forbidden. Donning her hooded cape and folding a heavy blanket over her arm, she turned out the lamp and took a deep breath. I don't care if General Curtis is dis- Restricted all surveillance from the road beyond Springfield. I will prevail. She opened the door. In the hallway, Constance Carver, dressed in a shaggy buffalo hide coat over a coal black dress with a starched white collar, stood beside two negro maids of the boarding house, each holding candles. Constance held a doctor's kit filled not with medicine but with her few clothes and sundry items at Constance's direction, the maids entered the room and hoisted Cynthia's clothes chest. The four quietly descended the stairs, Constance shushing the maids often. A guard dozed on the board, boarding house parlor sofa. The clock, glimmering in the candlelight, indicated just past three. They tiptoed to the door and slipped out into the frigid night. A sharp-toothed wind bit at Cynthia's cheeks, and all their breath rose in white plumes a shallow bowl of a moon perched on the horizon. In the still street before them, Reynolds, the tall freeman and her loyal friend stood shivering in his long coat and holding the bridle of a horse hitched to their carriage. The gig was covered with a layer of ice. The horse snorted and stamped at its feet. A second horse to be used to trade out in the pulling of the carriage was tied behind. The maids lowered the chest onto the rear of the gig atop heavy blankets, ropes, and canvas tents that Cynthia had purchased at an exorbitant price from a settler. Though she knew of boarding house in Rolla, where they could stay, the long journey to St. Louis would require that they camp, and she was determined not to freeze to death by the side of the road. The maids hugged Constance and crept back to the porch. Don't be gettin' caught by dem soldiers, you hear, Miss Constance. The maid named Abigail, whispered, You dark enough, they think you a colored woman like us. The maid sneaked inside the boarding house. Reflecting on Abigail's remarks, Cynthia remembered that her new companion was half Cherokee. Constance and she climbed into the carriage. <clears throat> Mr. Earls, Constance whispered, You best let me stow your pistol. If the army catches us, you won't want them to find that pistol on you. Stout Negro slipped the gun from under his coat and handed it to her. She placed it deep in the medicine bag. Reynolds led the shivering horse's hand on the harness. In his other hand he held a lantern with only one pane shedding a sliver of light. They continued a tedious pace down an alley, followed by another alley, then unto a field that had been trodden by soldiers in the grassless, muddy plot. To their left they witnessed a few paltry campfires among hundreds of tents, most of which had been walled around with logs and boards. The tents turned into shanties, sported chimneys, and from them lazy smoke drifted out into the stars. Here and there outside the tents they saw several glowing lanterns swinging on tall staffs, and near them shadowy figures of soldiers on guard duty. Are you sure the army can't hear us? Cynthia asked in a whisper. No, I ain't sure. Constance replied, "But if you listen, you can hear all sorts of commotions. Our noise is just mixed with the others." Just as Constance explained, Cynthia became aware of the multiple and the multitude of jangles and thuds, horses stamping in a nearby corral, guards talking in subdued voices, a horse trotting down the street behind them and going away, and dogs barking. Wooden houses and barns and trees creaked in the stiff wind. Out in the open, the wind shrieked a phantom wail. Cynthia did not feel any safer, for in crossing the field, they were completely visible. Move like a dead man, Reynolds, Constance whispered. Reynolds had closed the window of the lantern, and they proceeded in almost complete darkness. Beyond the meadow, a forest loomed a massive of deeper black. Reynolds had slowed the forward movement to a few feet at a time negotiating the hard soil. Listening to the clip-clop of the hooves, Cynthia could barely see the coffee-toned horse pulling. She drew the blanket around her shoulders. She could remember feeling so cold, not ever. She shook involuntarily. Suddenly the horse stopped moving, and Cynthia heard Reynolds carefully removing fence rails to the ground. The horse wickered and shook its mane, the ice on its hair tinkling. Cynthia thought she heard the cessation of the guards' talk in the camp. Then she heard a chorus of laughs, and she sighed a relief. In a moment, the horse and carriage jerked forward, and they were soon passing along a narrow foot trail. Though many of the trees had been removed by the soldiers to build their enclosures, the tall bushes stood so close that the limbs brushed and bent against the sides of the carriage. Stray thin branches reached into the carriage, snatching at Cynthia's hair and slapping her face. "'Ah, sore about those branches, Miss Cynthia,' Reynolds whispered in the dark. "'Never you mind, old man,' Constance whispered back. "'Just keep moving. There may be a sentry about.' "'No sooner had she spoken than a loud fury broke from somewhere to the right. "'None of the three could make out what the many voices were saying, "'but they were using fierce, combative words. "'Then there was heard running and crashing in the woods "'and the sounds of, of a row with dozens of men fighting with fists and clubs.' More sounds erupted behind them and in front of them, Reynolds slowed the horse to a stop. And I'll stop there on that particular story and talk a little more maybe about uh, writing. Um, I have a lot of fun writing. I tend to kind of edit as I go. Many people will write straight through and edit later. That is totally okay. There are so many ways to write. in what I do now I do coaching so I coach a little bit and help the people with small sections and they take what they learn from that and apply it to the rest of their book and pretty soon they've learned the science of a strong story because quite often they'll get bogged down any particular writer in too much information or in some cases too little information and so they need someone who can look at it um, objectively and give them the feedback that they need and so that's part of what I do as well and you can certainly contact me if you're interested in support Um, uh, I encourage you to do that you can go uh, to Kurt at KurtLocklearAuthor.com that's the email it's pretty easy and it is Kurt with a C C. We'll hold the book up there so that you can see it is Kurt Locklear and uh, I'd be happy to help you out and do whatever needs to be done Uh, I enjoy writing. I enjoy helping other writers write. It's so important that we all tell our story, even if it's a short story, even if it's a memoir, even if it's something that you think is of an interesting subject that you'd like to get into and delve into with research. Let's all be good writers. Let's let's learn from each other and support each other. Um, how about some um, Christmas carols? Do we have time for that? Sure okay how much time do we have long as it goes huh <laughs> well let's go ahead and do a little bit of christmas carols you just saw me drop my picks banjo players play with picks this is a five string banjo and uh, i like to play uh christmas carols all the time and christmas songs all the time when i get with my family we're always singing song would have been around at the time of the Dickens Christmas Carol and the time of Scrooge's book Scrooge and Cratchit Detectives Yeah. song that would have been very popular. It was written in the 1830s, but by that it didn't take long for it to come from Germany and Austria and to make its way into England and even the Americas. Christmas, everyone
0: oh my goodness thank you so much Kurt that was wonderful I enjoyed it completely. wasn't that fun yes yes as I said earlier it's been a while since I heard a banjo and I was really yeah. enjoyed
1: it well uh, I'm, I'm kind of a ham and so I'll enjoy playing for people even when I was a school principal the day before Christmas let out a few of the members of the staff and, my, and myself every year as a principal we would go about and sing Christmas carols in the halls, and the kids would pour into the oh. halls and join oh. us in song. And so it's good to celebrate Christmas. Yeah. That's, well. that's a good thing to do, and everywhere you can. And the banjo's one way. That's right. There isn't just one way to celebrate. Mm-hmm. You can do it many ways. Yep.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. We thoroughly appreciate it and enjoyed it, and I know
1: that our audience will, too. Okay. Well, they can certainly contact me at... Uh, Kurt at kurtlocklearauthor.com. it's easy just give me an email if you're looking for some editing support I do that as well so uh, like I said earlier um, so anyone needing help uh, I am at your service. That is a
0: good thing to know I'm so glad that you said that because sometimes well many times you come across someone's writing and they know they're almost there Mm -hmm. and all they need is that editing and that little nudge to get mm-hmm. the rest
1: of the way so that's, that's right. really really good that's to right. know I love for authors to succeed uh, everybody's got a story so let's 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 help yeah. everybody get that story out there leave the mm-hmm. legacy absolutely good
0: i yeah. think that we'd like to have you on again in 2021 maybe to feature the civil war books because certainly it, it would be wonderful and then oh absolutely. dixie dixie's a historian In her own right, so that would be a wonderful show in 2021. So look forward to that. Yes, please come back.
1: I will, I will.
0: And for today, I'm Terry Woods. And I'm Dixie Cooper. And thank you for watching Texas Storyteller, brought to you by Woodlands Online and sponsored by Urban Beat. Urban Beat partners with local farms and vendors for the freshest possible food. It's located at 448 Sawdust Road. The Woodlands, Texas, on the corner of Sawdust and Booty Road. Go check them out. And check us out on Roku, online, and at everywhere you can find a podcast. And thank you. Merry Christmas again.
1: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.